Well, this morning I want to introduce our guest preacher. <clears throat> and uh, I said his name already, but uh, it's Jay Height. Jay is the pastor of the Shepherd Community Church, Church of the Nazarene. He is the director of Shepherd Community Center. Shepherd Community Center is not only just a, a center here in Indianapolis, it's recognized as one of the leaders in central Indiana in breaking the cycle of poverty. And Jay has been recognized as a leader nationally in helping um, to create that kind of model to reach out to people who are in poverty with the name and the blessing of Jesus Christ. So um, Jay's a busy, busy guy, and we, <clears throat> we really appreciate him taking time um, to bring us the message this morning. And so, Jay, we thank you for coming. Come on up. It is good to be with you, and uh, it's been some time since I have uh, been able to be up here, but thank you for many of you who came down to my neighborhood this summer and worshiped with us, and for your continued support of the work that we're doing there in the near east side of Indianapolis. Uh, God is at work, and I celebrate the work uh, that your church did there in Appalachia. Just about six weeks ago, myself was in Appalachia hosting a conference on the church's response to the Appalachian poverty, and that's an important. God called us to, to the Great Commission and uh, to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, where we would uh, play baseball, and I grew up with the Big Red Machine, and I would listen to Marty and Joe, and, uh, and I played baseball. I liked baseball a lot because I didn't have to run much, and... Um, <laughs> You know, I, that, soccer, that's just crazy. That's too much running. Uh, yeah. And if I had a two-for-four or a three-for-four night, that was a good night. But in the Great Commission, that's absolute failure. God called us for a four-for-four. Four. And so it's great to see and hear what God is doing through your church throughout the world, as well as in Zionsville and in Appalachia and in other places. If we could go to our verse, I want us to look at the verse. It's out of Matthew. Uh, in the sixth chapter of Matthew, as we talk about Jesus, the way of Jesus, and the way Jesus lived his life, because it is the model for us. If we are going to be Christians, if we're going to be Christ followers, we need to see and hear from him. Uh, beginning in verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be, a full, will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God called us to be people who give. These were the words spoken by Christ, and, and it is a time for us to live in compassion. The world would say we need to live with sympathy, but that's not the way Christ lived it. He lived a life of compassion. And I want to tell you a little bit, while we're talking this morning, I want to tell you a little bit about Shepherd. How many of you have been to Shepherd? Some of you, that's great. Some of you are just there helping with our trunk or treat. And, um, it is uh, a privilege. I uh, married to my wife, Jane, for 25 years. 
being married to me 25 years qualifies her to work with three-year-olds at Shepherd, and uh, so she helps and serves some there, and then we are blessed with three great children, Jeremy, who is in grad school with his now wife, Ritu Gotra, now Ritu Height, and Jenna, who's a junior in college, and Joe, who's with me this morning, who's a senior and headed off to college next year. And so we're very blessed. We've been able to minister for 18 years in the Near East Side of Indianapolis after having served a time in Dayton and then Cincinnati, then came here. And so Shepherd has developed over that time. We're 27 years old. But if you had a picture, how many of you have ever used a stepladder? A stepladder has how many legs? Four. If it doesn't, I probably wouldn't use it. Uh, just, just a tip. But it seemed like a very simple thing. But if you know me, you know that I am tool challenged. What that means is I can't fix anything. That's being politically correct to say that if I try to fix something, my family goes ahead, calls 911 to have them send someone, and to hire someone to fix what I'm fixing. I'm just not gifted that way. But it seems so simple. I was going to clean the gutters in the front of my house. We lived there in the neighborhood, and I didn't think it would be that bad. And my wife says, honey, do you want me to hold the stepladder? Huh. <laughs> no, no, I don't need you to hold the stepladder. I'm fine. So she goes inside. I take the stepladder. I stick it there in the mulch. And I'm cleaning the gutter. And I only had about that much far, further to go. Not much. It says something on the top of a stepladder. Don't step. This is not a step. Funniest thing, they mean that. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, I only have that far to go. Why don't I just step on what is not a step, reach out with my left arm, and clean out that last little bit? So I did. And the mulch moved. And the ladder moved. And I moved. But we did not move together. And as I'm falling off, my left arm is out, and so it catches on the top of the stepladder. Now, I'm a little guy, and so there was just quite a bit of torque there on my shoulder. And for a moment, I feel like my shoulder has just exploded. I go to fall backwards, and I grab the only thing I could. I grab the stepladder, but I have a head start. So I land on the ground first. I bring it across my face. It busts my nose. Blood's coming from my nose. My shoulder feels like it's exploded, and I think, do I need to go get my wife? And then I thought, no, I'll just lay here and die. <laughs> my middle daughter, Jenna, looks out and she says, Mommy, why is Daddy laying in the yard? My wife walks out and she says, do you need me to hold the ladder? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's a true story, but it's a story that lives out in, in reality because built on a foundation on anything other than Jesus Christ, life will fall apart. And at Shepherd Community, we try to, with the love of Jesus Christ, build a foundation first on him and then to address four areas of their life, academic, emotional, physical, and spiritual, so that they can move themselves up and move on in life, that they can realize that there's a God who loves them. Academically, 23% of the freshman class of our local high school will graduate. The church has to be broken over that. Of those 23%, when they become seniors, 
it, they become 100%. All of those who graduate, 3.7% are college ready, which means our kids go off to college, use all of their financial aid for remedial classes, and then end up having to drop out because they run out of money. That breaks the heart of our God and must break our heart. And we want to help them build a strong leg academically. The statistics for our neighborhood from the USDA is 8 out of 10 kids in our neighborhood do not get two meals a day if they're not in school. This morning, as part of our worship time, there at our church, we would have had breakfast for all of those who come yesterday morning. And I know just last week, some of your own folks came down and helped serve breakfast on Saturday morning during our health clinic and our legal clinic and our food pantry where folks can come and get another meal. Hunger is an unfortunate reality of our world, and in Indianapolis it's a reality as well. And then we want to deal with the emotional needs of our community. Our competition is in other ministries. It's not other churches. It's not the great organizations that blanket our neighborhood, but it is the streets, and the streets are deadly. You only have to read the newspapers to realize that for many of our communities, we see an uptick in youth violence. It's a matter of hopelessness. If you have no hope, if you have no future orientation, you will make deadly decisions. But with the hope of Jesus Christ, we can let them know there's a God who loves them and has a plan for them. Buster Soares, an African-American pastor in New Jersey, said the closest thing to it, the New Testament church, sadly, many times, is a street gang. And our competition is the streets. And then the fourth leg we want to build is their faith. We want them to know that there's a God who loves them and cares for them. And built them on the foundation, they can move up. That's what we're trying to do. But the way we do it is really seen and modeled by Jesus Christ in John 4 and 5 as he helps us understand the compassion of Christ. Christ lived a life of compassion. And in John 4, we see him. He's going to a woman at the well. He's at a place where he should not be. Samaria was a place that you never journeyed to. You avoided that place. Those were half-breeds. You didn't go there, but Christ said he must go there. And he did because Christ models for us that he went to broken people and so must we. And there he goes up to a woman at the well and he says something to her. He says, yes, you're living with someone who's married and you've been married five times. Now, if you, Pastor Scott, if you want to do a new evangelism, go to Starbucks and go up to someone and say, I understand you're a sinner and you're living in sin. See how that works. You'll end up with cappuccino all over you. But we say, how is that compassion? How is that that he, he goes right into that? Well, I would contend to you what, what I think is that for that woman, if Christ had not dealt with and said, yes, I know your brokenness, I know your sin, she would have always thought, if he really knows me, he wouldn't love me. The wonderful news is that we are broken people, but God loves us. And sometimes the most compassionate thing we can do is deal with their sin and bring them to the saving knowledge that there's a God who loves them and cares for them. And each and every day we need to be faithful that folks who, are, who do not know Jesus Christ 
are living a life of spiritual poverty. And Christ models that for us as he, he, he deals with her there. And we talk about how we want to radically transform our inner city. And it says that she went back into her village. And when she came out, many came with her and many believed. If we want to change our inner cities, it's going to come when the church embraces compassion. And begins to model that old song, They'll Know We Are Christians by Our Love. That's the hope for our communities. As when the church begins to live it out and model it and says this is what compassion is all about. Don, he, he worked for us for a while. Don was, uh, spent 23 years in prison for participating in the murder of our assistant director's father. After getting out of prison, well, while in prison, Tim, our assistant director, goes into prison and forgives those three individuals who murdered his father in front of him 32 years ago. Leads two of them to Christ. When Don gets out, he comes to work for Shepherd Community and is now working in one of our hospitals in a special program helping those who've made bad choices and who've been injured make a new life plan. But I was talking to Don one day, and he said, Jay, you realize that I knew God had forgiven me, and I knew that Tim had forgiven me, but what held me in bondage, what held me were not the bars, but it was my own lack of forgiveness. And the great news we have is that we can say to broken people, yes, you've blown it, but so have I. And there's a God who loves us and embraces us in our brokenness and cleans us up and makes us who he wants us to be. That's the compassion of Christ. In John 5, we see another story. And Jesus is now at the pool of Bethesda. And he's there and he goes up to this man and he says to him, do you want to get better? Any of you think that's a little odd? That's how he's going to start the conversation. Do you want to get better? And, and what does the guy say to him? Oh, I've been here 38 years. You bet. Every morning, his family would have brought him and his mat and set him there next to the pool. There was this story of the day that said if the water began to move, the first person in would be healed. And so Jesus says, do you want to get better? And and this man, not realizing who he's talking to, begins to say, yeah, I'd like to, but I can never get in. He begins to make all the excuses. Why would Christ say that? Because interesting, in over 20 years of ministry, what I've begun to realize, if someone doesn't want to get better, they won't. And so Christ is ascertaining really what his heart's condition was. He has excuses. And Christ simply says, be healed. But then he says something very interesting for us. He says, pick up your mat and go and take it with you. Now, this is a desert area. It's hot. He's been sitting on that mat for many, many years. I don't think that's a mat you want to take with you. There's not enough Febreze in the world to make that mat something you want to carry. But you know what I think? I think Christ says, 
Take that with you so you remember where you came from. Remember what I did for you. And, and, and the interesting part of the compassion of Christ, as we talk about giving and how we give of our time and our talents and our treasures, sometimes we need to remember our mats of where Christ brought us from. Because it'll change how we view things. It will be different. We'll say, oh, yeah, I, I, God was faithful. I can tell you personally in my own life, my wife and I had been married a short time, and there in Ohio, I, my wife thought she married a U.S. congressman. <laughs> I tricked her. Um, I was involved in politics. And having been trained by some of the best in the world, was running campaigns and, and was working for an elected official, and things fell apart, and we parted ways. And I was trying to make ends meet, and it was a short month. I was working three jobs and trying to figure out how to pay the bills. And one night, walking out of church, on my windshield was an envelope with cash that paid the bills for that month. And I want you to know that there's many times my wife and I will go back to that moment in time that we remember. It was a difficult time. But God took care of us. And as we have served these many years, we have seen a God who's faithful when I'm faithful to do what he has called me to do. You know, it's, it's not called, he, he doesn't call me to be the one who solves everything. I want you to know that 20-some years, I've seen lots of failures. I've seen lots of folks who made decisions that I didn't want them to make. I've done funerals for folks who died because of tragic choices. But I want you to know that in the compassion of Christ, he calls us to give and let it leave it up to him. He is in charge of the results, not us. It was January of this past year. It's been 18 years since we left Cincinnati. And God called us to leave, to come to Indianapolis, and it was a very difficult moment in my, my family, for my family to leave some people we loved there and an area called Over the Rhine of Cincinnati. But in January of this year, there's a letter that comes. It's addressed to me at Shepherd Community. And I begin reading that letter, and it says, if this is Jay Height that worked in Cincinnati, this letter's for you. And it begins to tell the story of a young girl that was very special to my wife and I, now married with kids. And she shares how God had moved in her life we didn't know we had left her in the care of the ministry and church that we were with. We knew that things had gone very bad for her. Life was tragic. Her father had killed himself just prior to our leaving. And in February of this year, our whole family was able to drive to southeastern Indiana and have dinner with her and her husband and kids. Eighteen years later, God revealed what he had been doing because we had been faithful. And I want you to know that God calls you 
to give, not worrying about the results, but allowing him to be in control. That's the compassion of Christ. Christ died on the cross that none should perish, but he gave us choice. And it is his desire that we would all love him and know him. But we get to choose. And so it is with us living out our compassion. God wants us to be faithful, to do what we can do, to say the things that we can say, to spend our time in ways that build the kingdoms. And guess what? He's a God who takes care of the rest. Whether it's a woman at the well or a man at a pool, we see Christ modeling. He went to broken people. He went to places that the world would say you weren't supposed to go. He dealt with issues that society would say, oh, you don't go there. And he went to people that he said, you know, go ahead and be healed. It tells us later in John 5, he says sometime later, Christ sought him out. Said, stop sinning. And I wonder of those miracles, that woman, what were the outcomes of their lives? We may never know in history the impacts that we'll have when we give. But in eternity, it will be revealed. And then the idea of the compassion of Christ, to walk the way of Christ, is one who says, I'll give all I can and depend on God for the rest. It's a wonderful place to live. It's one of full obedience, depending on him, so that the world will be changed with the hope of Jesus Christ. I encourage you to build stepladders in people's lives where you live, that you'll touch in places that I will never be. But being faithful to the Great Commission to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, you sent your Son to model how we should live and how we should spend our time and how we should give And Father, we thank you for that reminder. We thank you, Father, that we too can have the compassion of Christ, that we too can be people who are investing in others and investing for eternity. We love you, and we thank you for your infinite love for us. Father, be with us now. Go as we go out, and may we be found faithful living a life of compassion. In your son's name, amen.